This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Most Valuable Sports Podcast. I'm here with Mike Powell, Mr. Joe Nagy. Joe, how is it going there in Tri-County, Michigan? <laughs> well, it's actually Howard City, Michigan, but... Uh, you know, I know that that was the joke. I'm hanging in. We got a couple more days left of school. Uh, close to uh, we're kind of on the home stretch right now. I believe less than ten days, right, Brandon? Yes, we have. I I believe less than ten. I mean, it really depends on what how many exams you have yeah, on each day. Basically, so. the schedule of everything. But yeah, we're pretty excited. Yeah, this three. could very well be the last uh, podcast of the of the school year. But we're obviously going to be trying to bring it through. Uh, Summertime as well, so but yeah, kind of on the home stretch right now, Brandon. How are you holding up too? Yeah, we're we're hanging in here in Reed City, so it's it's going. I mean, we're we're almost done. Everybody, hang in there. We're almost to the end of the school year, where we can just relax and take this one day at a time. But yeah, for summer though, we're definitely having a lot of ideas right now on for our summer podcast, including maybe some potential collaborations with the guys at Mike's and Takes. So be in, stay tuned for that. But Joe, we got a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. Definitely. All right. So as you guys may have heard, the NFL draft took place this past week, and it was definitely an eventful one, one of the most highly watched drafts in the last century. It has been a very interesting uh, couple of days thinking about what happened as the virtual aspect. And Joe, I don't know how you felt about it, but it was actually really interesting. Yeah, on it, like honestly, when when they were toying with what the format was going to be, I think most people were more focused on how that was going to go rather than who was going to get picked and all that. But you know, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of times in the draft where I was surprised by picks, it was a very entertaining one to watch because there were some teams that, you know, made decisions that kind of surprised you. The Lions didn't take a didn't take a lineman uh, in their first pick of the draft. So that was a pleasant surprise too. But I mean, I'm I was really excited to watch this draft. I was really happy with the way it turned out too. And it was just really probably one of the most entertaining drafts for me for the past couple of years. Yeah, I think that the the guys at NFL did an absolutely terrific job putting that whole thing together, everything running smoothly. I think they did it the best way they could. And even, even though it took a toll on Roger Goodell from all of the, the memes of him sitting down in his chair by round seven, but hey, give the man some credit. He hung in there for seven rounds of a draft literally in his basement. Uh, that is in and of itself absolutely impressive that he stayed there that long, but... I would have to say that as a Lions fan, Joe, I think the Lions just made the best draft they have in the last five years. Definitely. I mean, we picked up a lot of guys that we needed. We needed someone to replace Darius Slay um, and also to compliment Trufant on the opposite side of the defensive side or defensive field with Jeff Okuda. I think he's going to be a really good fit. Uh, if you didn't watch our live stream with Mike's and Takes, the mock draft and the reaction show, uh, watch that. You can catch some more of my uh, – some more me of – more of mine and Brandon's thoughts on some of these picks uh, kind of go more in depth, but I think that's going to be, I think Javakuri is really going to fit in well on the defense, really kind of complement what we already have as well as kind of getting an, a better running back as well. I think uh, DeAndre Swift's going to fit in. He can probably learn a little bit also kind of fit well with 
uh, Matthew Stafford as well, both being Georgia Georgia alums. So I think that's going to be a really good fit too. Yeah, and we do have that those links in our Twitter at the MVSP if you guys want to check out both the mock draft and the reaction show that are now both on YouTube as well under Bulldog Radio. But going through like these picks right now, I, I agree that Jeff Okuda is a great fit to um, replace Darius Slay. And I, I put a tweet out today, and I was really sad, and I was just thinking to myself, man, what if we had both Okuda and Slay and Trufant all together? That would have been such a great, great secondary. But it is what it is, and we'll dream forever. But Okuda, he's a very, very big guy. He's quick feet. He's got great instincts breaking up passes. He's going to be a big asset for us. And DeAndre Swift honestly really surprised me. I didn't think we were going to be going running back this early in the draft, but considering DeAndre Swift was supposed to be a potential late first-round pick and he slid to the second round, might have baited us a little bit into taking him. I mean, he's a he's a great, great running back. He's a great outside runner between the tackles. He shows speed and toughness. He's that overall back that really can get everything done. Uh, Julian Okwara, the outside linebacker, this was probably one of the more notable picks for the Lions as his brother is also a Detroit Lions. So maybe a little bit of Romeo and Julianne, you could say, going on <laughs> in Detroit. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> both the Okora brothers on the same side rushing the passer, that sounds just like – that just sounds epic. Definitely. I think that's – I mean, we needed people to complement the defense. I mean, we already had a solid one, but, I mean, getting this is probably going to push us forward. I think we only had, what, three wins last season, um, facing off yep. arguably one of the – or some of the toughest uh, teams in the National Football League so far. But, I mean, a lot of these guys, I'm excited to see how they're going to play um, coming this season. Hopefully that it's going to start off without a hitch. There's not going to be any, uh, you know, any delays. We can just get right into football. But, I mean, I'm excited for the Aquara brothers to do some damage. I'm excited for Jeff Okuda to show all the doubters wrong, um, that he's going to be a good fit for the Detroit Lions. And DeAndre Swift to be a good uh, – competition for carry on Johnson as well. And I'm just excited too, but what do you think of uh, Jonah Jackson as well? He got picked up 75th overall. Also Ohio state guard. How do you think he's going to fit in Brandon? Yeah. First off, I'd like to say this. Jonah Jackson is an amazing football player. I mean, I, we watched him personally as Michigan fans, which gets me on my next point where I'm a little upset that Detroit just kind of violated the no Buckeye draft rule but and they by drafting three of them I'm a little upset by that but I'm not mad because these these guys are all great football players and that's what it comes down to so just had to get that off my chest really quick but Jackson uh, he's a very versatile guy he's got really good size he's he's a really really good run blocker and I feel like that's really what this team needs he's got a lot of room to improvement and I think that them stacking up as they also went guard with the next pick with Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky. They're, they're really trying to really trying to establish truly that they can have a run game. And I think they're trying to do it as much as possible by getting all these gritty guards and speedy tackles where they can get really versatile. Then they can pound it and they can pitch it to the outside, really trying to establish the run game, which I feel like that's been one of the 
biggest things we have not had in the last 10 years as a Lions Definitely. Also, a big steal that I think we picked up was with John Penasini from Utah. I mean, if you're looking at his grade coming out of the draft, it's an A-. minus. He played for Utah, a team who kind of came out of nowhere this season. They were, I think, ranked fifth. They almost had a chance to get in the playoffs. One of the best defenses in the in the whole country. And he was one of their main leaders, and he's going to be a really great defense tackle. I mean, he's just going to be a guy who I think is – our defense is going to be scary this year. I mean, I say this with a with the most hope I can, but, I mean, it, it'll all come down to what actually happens. But I think we're going to have probably one of the toughest defenses um, in our in our division and even in our, in our conference as well. So hopefully it'll do something where we can get all these guys to mesh really well. Hopefully we'll get all these guys to um, – play like Detroit Lions and play really well, but um, hopefully it just does something that's going to be surprising and a new look for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, and you brought up Penasini, which I think this was a, a great pick by Detroit, is he's kind of more of that that home run kind of boomer bust guy that you kind of want in those later rounds where you're not as worried about filling holes and getting instant starters where this guy – he shows he shows those flashes that he is really really a good playmaker at times where he makes these crazy plays off the line of scrimmage, just given given hand moves, finesse moves, getting off the tackles and getting to the quarterback. But it overall, like it's a great pick, I think, with Penasini. Also, another pick that a lot of people have been talking about is the wide receiver out of Wisconsin, Quintez Cephas, and. I really wanted to know exactly like where the direction we were going with Cephas is I really didn't think we needed a wide receiver at the time, but then I looked into it and the more I looked at Quintez Cephas, the more he kind of reminds me of Mar- a Marvin Jones type player. And it seems fitting that Marvin Jones and some other receivers will be on, will be on new contracts possibly next year with the team or with another team. So I feel like Cephas is really kind of the guy they're going to try to develop into a starter by next the next couple of seasons in case some of those guys leave for injuries or whatever reason where he's got he's got a really big body. And the one interesting thing I found is that Jeff Okuda at Media Day was asked who the toughest receiver he actually faced. And his actually his number one answer was Quintez Cephas, which is kind of crazy. I think he went against a lot of very good receivers like you were high on Donovan Peoples Jones in that mock draft we did Joe but like he faced a lot of good receivers and the fact he said Cephas was the hardest makes us just feel really good that he's a Detroit Lions definitely and I mean I'm I I don't want to like circle back to uh, Jeff Okuda too much but I don't know did you see uh, during that media day when uh, the one I think a reporter said he was tending to be a little bit sloppy um, in the way he plays but then uh, he came back with uh, all of his stats and all of his placements and all these different uh, categories. I think he was like top two in uh, broken up passes and tackles and stuff like that. And he had three. Yeah. He was talking about how many interceptions he had and stuff. And I mean, that's some people might say that's kind of cocky, but I'm glad to see that out of someone who is proving themselves, has to make a name for themselves in the league. Um, someone who's just, or Jeff Okuda is really just kind of paving the way for him being, I mean, a dog, he's going to be a guy who just gets down there in the trenches, plays hard. And I'm just excited for him to prove all these people who don't think he's going to be a good draft pick. I mean, those reporters who uh, kind of question his ability to play the game, but I'm excited to have see him already have that chip on his shoulder. 
Absolutely. And Jeff Okuda kind of, you would say, really kind of exposed that reporter as he was kind of going in with his insights. But I mean, when you look at the facts is Jeff Okuda was one of the most efficient corners in college football last year. He was one of the, the lowest in pass interference penalties. He was one of the highest in breakups and he had a lot of interceptions as well. He was a, he's a fantastic player. The guy can tackle in space, but the one thing that I really like about this Detroit Lions draft class is a lot of these guys have a reason to truly play for. And I feel like that comes with a lot of these draft picks. But, I mean, you talk about Okuda. He had a really, like, life-changing experience when he first moved into Ohio State. His mother passed away within a week. He was on campus. And he, he just he absolutely is playing for her and he's said that multiple times again. And it's it's kind of those guys that you just see that those are the guys that are really, really grateful and they're really, really hungry to get better and just play to their best ability over some of the the other guys that we kind of see that are just like, Oh, I made it to the NFL, this is pretty cool, where they don't really have that that motivation. Yeah, they've, like they've some gotten of to where they're are. working for and they're just kind of they yeah they lack the motivation or the drive to 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 get someplace you know yeah right and Julian Oku or Aquara as well like he he fractured his leg like he he was in a chance where he might not play football again but he gets right back up and he's a third round or a third round pick in the draft and goes to the what else what else but the Detroit team that his brother plays on but. I'm really excited for this class. I think Deshaun Cornell, who we have not talked about, is also a really high high ceiling player. I mean, he doesn't have as high of a floor floor right now because he's just only a one year starter at Ohio State. But he I mean, he's a big dude. Like he is a very, very big dude and he can do some damage. And we also have Jason Huntley as well. I think we are just going really for depth with Jason Huntley. He kind of is more that dynamic player. He almost kind of re- reminds me. I wouldn't necessarily put him exactly like Darren Sproles, but he kind of reminds me of with his size and his speed. He kind of has that ability to catch the football and run really well and even have special teams. Um, he could even be a high special teams player in the talent department. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where all these guys end up because, I mean, it's sad as we want, but some of these guys might not even make the first man or the first uh, training camp. Roster. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm excited to see what the Detroit Lions do with all these picks that they have. I mean, you can definitely tell these guys like Logan Sternberg and, like you said, Jason Holly, they got a lot to prove. They aren't guys who, I mean, were super touted on coming out of out of college. I mean, if you look at their their draft grade, it's about – both of them have a D plus, I mean, kind of lower on the ranks, but I mean, hopefully these guys aren't wasted draft picks to the point where they don't even make the, the, the 40 man roster, but it's just going to come down to how bad they want it. I mean, now that they, I mean, we talked about some guys who don't feel like they have any motivation, but for these guys, their motivation is all the doubters. I mean, you have, there's, I mean, this grade should be enough for them already. I mean, D pluses, I feel like they want to get that up, show people that, they're in the league for a reason and they're going to be a valuable asset for the lions. But I mean, I'm just wondering about other stuff, but Brandon, I'm to kind of transition in the next part of the draft. 
there's a couple big steals, a couple of guys who we didn't think was going to drop so far. But, Brandon, what were your thoughts on some of those guys who you're surprised about? I mean, guys like uh, Jake Fromm, who dropped, I think it was like pick 150, like high 50s or low 60s, I think, 160, I think. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on some of those yeah. guys who kind of maybe slipped through the cracks and went far and they're going to be good picks for the team? Yeah, that is like one of the, the crazier picks that I thought of when you we were talking about doing these kind of these steals and all of these guys that fell in the draft. And Jake Fromm, I, I would boldly like say this, when I saw we were on the clock in the fourth round and I saw Jake Fromm was still on the best available board, I was for sure thinking the Lions were going to take him for the future. He has the same college, like, um, coach as Matthew Stafford coming from Georgia. I thought it's going to be almost guaranteed. But the the crazy thing is, uh, the I believe it was a Sports Illustrated article came out. I believe it was when Fromm was a freshman, and they were quoting him as he was going to be the guaranteed number one pick in the 2020 draft. And now we see him being taken with the 22nd pick in the fifth round, which is a crazy, crazy drop from that potential number one pick. But, I mean, if you stay on the same team, A.J. Epinesa is also a guy that I thought dropped quite a bit because there was a lot of good people that said he was going to be a first-round pick, and let alone he falls to the end of the second round. And for the Bills, that's an absolute home run for them. That's exactly the kind of guy they look for, a gritty defensive end that can stop the run and rush the quarterback. They, they're really just adding depth to that defense, and that's making Buffalo look even better. But, I mean, it's just crazy that some of these guys we pick, oh, it's almost a guarantee they're going to go in the first round. But on draft day, they're still, they're still waiting for a phone call in round three and four, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I mean, Jake Fromm was towered on coming out of high school. He led – I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the live stream – he led the led Georgia to was a national championship game his freshman year as a true freshman, and you'd think that that would be more touted upon. But uh, if you guys did tune into our live stream, you would have heard uh, Barrett from Mike's and Takes. He talked about how he's not a guy who really kind of listens to 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 authority. I mean, he listens to his coach, but there's times where he he was injured and he wouldn't really listen to his body too much. Barrett brought up the the point of him and QB1, that documentary on Netflix, where he just wouldn't be paying attention to his physical trainer when he'd uh, have cramps all the time. He wouldn't be drinking liquid. And I feel like that was probably one of the main main reasons he fell so far is just his some some coaches, some uh, some teams may be a little bit wary of what he's going to be able to do if he's going to be able to take care of himself or listen to listen to what's going to happen to him or what what is best or what's best for him, and I think that's one of the main reasons. But, I mean, is there anybody else that you kind of thought was surprising to fall down? Um, I, I do want to point out that there was um, a pick in the mock draft that was extremely obscure, and I think I know which, know which one that you think I'm thinking of, Joe. And I believe it was your 27th pick, or I'm sorry, was it 28th pick? Where you had a former Michigan man becoming a Baltimore. Raider that was that was a little round. bit that was a little bit for the for the stream just to kind of get some reactions from the chat. But yeah, 
Yeah, I got you. But my point is, is Donovan Peoples-Jones was that pick. And I'm not saying he should have been a first-round pick. But the fact he fell to the sixth round is pretty interesting. I thought with his playmaking ability and his his potential ceiling that he was going to be picked more in the fourth round, maybe even the third round. But he ends up falling to the or eighth pick in the sixth round to Cleveland along with another guy, Grant Delpit from LSU, who I thought fell pretty far as well. I mean, the fact is, is he was the top defensive back in college football last year. And the the thing is, is the one thing that he kind of has a knock on is may, not as great of a tackler as much as like a pass or pass interceptor, but Oh, like Grant Delpit is still a great player that is going to mold. He kind of even reminds me a little bit of Tyron Matthew, another a norm, another former LSU Tiger. But the the thing is, is Delpit. I mean, he was the best defensive back in college football last year, uh, winning the Jim Thorpe Award. But he's not even a first round pick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of surprising to see a lot of these players from LSU. I mean, a national championship team that. Uh, showed so much prowess, had so many good players. Um, to see them drop so far, I mean, uh, if you want to go back to the first round, I just have something to point out. In my notes, I when we were doing the mock draft, I had Patrick Queen going to the to the Ravens at 28th overall, but then I think I ended up choosing I think Xavier McKinney or something like that, so they could complement their. Or I think I chose someone else, but he was there, and I was kicking myself for that. But I mean, it's kind of surprising to see some of these these players from good, good schools that they were kind of one of the main reasons why uh, they went so far and they played key roles to drop so far and kind of lose that recognition. But I mean, I guess that's just kind of the way the draft goes. You can never really predict what everyone's going to think. I mean, to make a point for it, I mean, you look at uh, Tom Brady, who was a sixth round, I think he was 199th overall, if I'm not mistaken. And like, yeah, he was a guy at Michigan who, was one of the main guys who was called upon when they needed to get to get out of a jam when they were down two touchdowns late in the game. He would bring them back, get them in a fighting chance, and even win the game most of the time. So, I mean, there's guys who could be diamonds in the rough, or they could just be guys who, you know, might play one or two years, maybe make the squad once, and then just have to get cut after that and go sell insurance, I guess. But, you know, it's a uh, – it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's interesting to see. You're not talking about Jake Fromm. I mean, you? it depends on if he's going to be able to beat out not, Josh Allen or Jake uh, from State Farm. Josh Allen, right? Is the quarter or the, the starter at, in Buffalo, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, hopefully we don't see another Jake from State Farm in future commercials with Jake Fromm. But um, so you speaking of um, kind of icons for each team really kind of highlighted my next player was C.D. Lamb, who was a big part of Oklahoma's kind of resurgence with Jalen Hurts at the Rome last year. And the fact that the Cowboys got him at 17, it was way, way, way too much not to pass – I'm sorry, way too much to pass on. So they end up selecting him, and all the Cowboys fans are really happy except for Dan Orlovsky, but Dan Orlovsky can also, like, be a little bit uh, respectful, I guess you could say. But I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with his topic, but we can yeah. move that for another day. But 
like CeeDee Lamb there at 17, my point being, that was Definitely. an absolute steal for the Cowboys. That's something that they need, and I think that's something that if they can really develop their defense in the off the offseason by signing more players or even next year possibly if they get some free agents, can really build it together because I don't think their defense is there yet. But with CeeDee Lamb with or paired with Michael Gallup and – and I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Please, oh, my God. <laughs> I apologize. Michael Gallup and. I'm no, not sure who I you're trying to describe. Wide receiver for the Cowboys that's not Michael Gallup. Yeah. Amari Cooper. Holy cow. Thank you. Okay. Cooper, Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. Those three alone. You don't even put Zeke in the mix. That's now that's even a greater team. And really, if they can't get to the playoffs with this offense, I think next year they're going to have to go full defense in the draft. Not even. Yeah, think about most definitely. Play. But, you know, the draft, I feel like, is one of the most exciting times of the year, mainly because just of how unpredictable it can be, how much you got to be sitting on the edge of your seat. If your team's going to be able to choose good things, you're paying attention to who's in your conference that they're going to be choosing the good things. But, you know, draft, I feel like, is most. Most entertaining – I think, like, the NFL draft is the most entertaining draft out of all the sports, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a lot – there's so much to it that a lot of people are – they want to really just put themselves out there as I know what's going to happen, and all these people are having different opinions, and then it goes down to draft day, and you're just waiting to see who was right. And even if anybody was right, where every single – mock draft ends up saying like Derek Brown could have went to the Lions and then and they end up picking Okuda just just because he was still there like there's there's so many different ways the draft can go and I think it makes it so entertaining it's almost kind of I wouldn't call it like like a casino where you're like going to a machine and you're 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 hoping you're going to get this much there's always that like you think you know what's going to happen but you never know what's going to happen kind of a deal but it is definitely a fun time, and I think this year it was a very interesting one for that. But moving on now as we move into Brandon, the Brandon, NBA, Brandon, you're forgetting. Have, it's been a fat minute what? since we've done everybody's favorite segment of the show. Oh, you're right. All right, Joe, we apologize. We have missed your fact of the day. I'm getting a little a sad, now. but Joe, it's a good transition to our next back. topic. The Detroit Bad Boys. Bill Lambeer, one of the main enforcers on the team, they were looking for their third consecutive championship in 1988 when they were playing the Los Angeles Lakers. Bill Lambeer was on uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when this phantom foul happened. Brandon, what game in the series was it? And oh, excuse me, what game in the series was it? And what or excuse me, and who was the point guard for the Lakers at the time? Oh my goodness! Well, I yeah. You said eighty-eight. It's kind of a softball okay. question. So yeah, um, <laughs> a softball question, ha. Um, well, I believe the point yep. guard was Magic Johnson, but I can't remember the game off the top of my head. I'm going to guess it was Game Four. But I could be wrong. Actually, Brandon, you're wrong. It was game was... Si- or excuse me, game s- six of the series. It was able to get the Lakers to tie 
uh, the series at 3-3. The Pistons were only one away from winning the championship. But if you look back on the film, Lambeer didn't even touch Kareem. He was going for that signature hook shot off the high glass, and he didn't, and he wasn't able to get to fall. But then Kareem able to sink those two, and uh, kept the Pistons from winning the championship, gained that third third ring for that legendary Bad Boys team. Um, it's sad as a Detroit Pistons fan myself. I mean, I, I know that you're sad, Brandon. We're both Pistons fans, but. Um, you know, this goes into a great transition for our next topic, which is, once again, Michael Jordan and ESPN have partnered for a very terrific, a a much-needed uh, documentary about the last dance, one of the last season that the that the famous Chicago Bulls, the, the six-time champion Chicago Bulls, um, were together. And, Brandon, what happened in Episodes 3 and 4? Episodes three and four were very good, very good. And I think ESPN has nailed it already. I'm absolutely tuning in for five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten the rest of the way. They've totally done an amazing job. But episode three, if you guys didn't watch it, you guys should definitely watch it. There should be some reruns bef- or during the week. And I think they actually do a couple before. I think, yeah, I think they do the latest episode. But I think they're going to re- they're replaying episode yeah, they'll, four, they'll, I think, they, or they might be doing episode three and four. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think, I think they might be doing three and four before they do five and six, but either way, if you guys haven't watched them, you definitely should. But episode three of the last dance was a very interesting one. I, a lot of people had the really interesting thoughts about it. The main kind of the piece of it was mo- mainly around. There was two main topics. <laughs> One of them was on Dennis Rodman, who was actually an original member of the second topic, which was the bad boys where the, with Dennis Rodman, it was kind of how he kind of developed into this guy who was really just trying to make a living at a young age. Didn't realize he was going to become a college basketball player until he was asked to by a coach in a, in a rec park or something like that. He ends up going to this college that wasn't very big. I believe it was community college. He ends up getting drafted, and he ends up getting – I believe he was drafted to um, – Yeah, he was, was drafted, he drafted to, to Detroit. Detroit. I can't remember off the top And of then I think I, all – like Bill Ambeer had, and uh, – what was he? I forgot the other guy's name, but it was like Joe Dumars, Isaiah, Tom, uh, Isaiah Thomas, and stuff like that. They were all there already. I forget the third – the third uh, – Big man on the team. Yeah, I, I know I can I can picture who it is. I'll look up the name for you. But yeah, basically he gets drafted by Detroit, and then he ends up going to San Antonio for a small bit, and then he ends up getting brought in by Jerry Krause to team up with Jordan and Pippen in Chicago. But the really kind of interesting thing is how Dennis Rodman, before he was really known for his his infamous image of Dennis Rodman was really kind of the quiet, shy player that was really just kind of in love with the game. He really enjoyed not only like learning, I guess like not learning how to just score all the time, be that fancy, fancy player that everybody watches nowadays. Kind yeah. of like the Luka Doncic, the, the Trey Young, the LeBron, the Kevin Durant, Steph, kind of those like iconic players that you think of. He was kind of more, in the mode where he wanted to learn more about the the dirty and the gritty part 
where he wanted to study how to get more rebounds and save more balls from going out of bounds. All those hustle and gritty defensive things that were kind of really not like thought of in, especially in today's NBA where guys are like, yeah, I want to go to the NBA and get 20 rebounds a game. You don't see that very often, but he, and Dennis Rodman had seven, seven games where he had 20 rebounds and did not score a single point. That just describes how Dennis Rodman was just a very different, I wouldn't say breed. Like, he was a different breed of bat, like basketball player. He wasn't. He wasn't the guy who would go out and score, yeah, but he was the guy yeah. who was, like you said, did the dirty work and stuff. There was a point in the episode where it, when they were talking to him about like what he pre- did to prepare, and there was times where he would just have his friends just miss shots like on purpose, or just shoot for like hours on end, and he just rebound and try to get good angles on the ball, and he'd study each person on the team. He, I think he said he studied. Um, Isaiah Thomas and Rick Mahorn, all their shots to see like the spin of the ball, whether it was going to go fast off the backboard, if it was going to get caught somewhere on the rim. I think he said when Scottie Pippen shot, there was more rotation on it than when Michael shot, I think he said. And like just the amount of, mm-hmm. although he is a little, a little bit of a character. I mean, you've seen from the way um, he is now today, he's a guy who just kind of uh, marches to the beat of his own drum, but he's a guy who, you know, really – was a student of the game was a guy who just really tried to perfect his craft. And he was, you know, just a, you don't really see a lot of players nowadays kind of take that initiative and show how much work it goes into being, I mean, what was it? He was a three-time defensive player of the year or two-time, uh, but I know he won I, defensive. He was, he was two-time defensive player of the year, and he was an eight-time all-defensive team Yeah, just player. absolutely ridiculous. So. He was one of the main guys. But, I mean, talking about that Bad Boys team, it is crazy to see back then how much people could get get by with how many fouls. Nowadays, you have oh guys like – I'm, not, I'm yeah. not trying to knock on James Harden or LeBron or anything, but there's a, a lot of flopping in the NBA when there's barely any contact. And when you, I can see why – I don't know if your dad does this, Brandon, but when I'm watching basketball, my dad, he always just talks about the in, – in air quotes I'm doing right now is uh, in the good old days where guys would uh, be – it would basically be like a football game where guys would just be running into each other. They'd be trying to get little cheap shots in. They'd be elbowing each other down low. And it looks like it's not even the same game, but it's just really interesting to see how much the game has evolved and whether people's are opinions or whether it's been a good way that the game has been changing or a bad way. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that is funny you brought that up. My dad actually does, like, the same thing. But, um, yeah, like, it was mind-boggling if you look back at, like, the 90s or 90s basketball with the bad boys where those guys just – they had no regard for – anybody being offended by what they did where they would knock you down continuously over and over and over just like it was their job and joe i'm sure you saw the yeah. jordan rules that the bad boys established when michael jordan was on the floor but those are those are just crazy to think like whenever michael jordan had the ball they basically had the the three the three rules i believe it was don't or uh, don't force him. They was they it, forced him. Uh, they tried to force him left. I think. 
Yep. And then force, and then if they couldn't, they'd have to force him baseline. And then they would just all there would three, be three if, people that would collapse on him when he go for a shot because they were like, "Don't let him yeah, go." If it, they, the I think it was one part where John Sally was talking and he said, "If he's as long as he's not in the air, then." You're going to yeah, be, okay be okay because when he was in the air, he basically make every shot. But that's just crazy to see yeah. what they had to do to compete with that. And also, I think there's Isaiah Thomas in the episode where – or in the – yeah, the episode where he said uh, they they kind of took it personal that so many people were only talking about the Chicago Bulls and I think it was the Celtics when Detroit was a team that could hang with both of them. I mean, when you look at the Celtics teams, I think it was episode two where they were talking about – that uh con- that conference champion Eastern Conference Championship where they faced where the Bulls faced off against the Celtics, and like they were yeah, the yeah. Celtics were also a pretty physical team. But I mean, when you look at the Pistons, it's literally like uh, night and day when the difference of the two teams. Yeah, like when you look at a lot of the basketball you watch now, where a lot of it is really not as physical as it was back in the day, where. You didn't have, like, Jordan rules. You never were like, yeah, if he ends up getting in the paint, everybody just absolutely collapse on him and put him to the deck before he he does anything in the air. But it's just crazy to think that we had this era of basketball watching what we have now just because it's almost like the the NFL – or I'm sorry, the NBA has gotten a lot more touchy where a lot of fouls aren't necessarily from physical, physical contact – like somebody like Rick Mahorn just putting somebody to the deck back then rather than now it's kind of more of, hey, oh, that was a hand check where that's more of kind of what we see from fouls nowadays. But, like, another thing with the film that they really brought out well is how many, how many great teams there were during this time period. I mean, the fact is, is you got the Bulls team, and this is, this is before they had won any championships with the – when he was facing the bad boys the first and second times where this was back in 88 and 89, where you had the Lakers that were starting to evolve with magic Johnson and Kareem. And then you got the Celtics, of course, with Larry bird and company. And then you got the bad boys that are kind of taking over the reins from the Celtics when they were winning all the championships. And then you got this guy named Michael Jordan leading this, Chicago Bulls team with another dude named Scottie Pippen where these guys really aren't like well well known at this time but just the fact is is like Magic Larry and Michael and the bad boys were all playing at the same time yeah it's crazy to think because I mean we've seen already like there was I think I think Fox Sports Detroit did a documentary about the bad boys a couple years ago if I'm not mistaken um and like they were talking about that and like the players I didn't – and they were talking about when they played the Bulls with Michael Jordan. I was like, they played – I thought they were in different times, you know? But, I mean, when you look at yeah. the Bulls dynasty, it's later on. But, I mean, it's crazy to see the amount of talent that the NBA had back then. I mean, already today we see all the talent that we have now, but it's it's more kind of spread out amongst the teams. There's not really too many great super teams in the NBA right now. But, like, when you look at <clears> – <throat> excuse me, when you look at – I mean, Detroit, uh, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bulls, that's four teams right there that were that had very good players that were teams that were tough to beat the whole time. Yeah, like the crazy thing is like looking back at all these champion teams you had 
And the the matter of the fact is, is like you go back to 1980 and you've got the Lakers won the 1980 championship, the 1982, 1985, 87, 88. And then you got the Celtics that also had won. They had also won like 10 championships from 59 to uh, I believe it was 69. I believe it yeah. was right. Somewhere around that time. And then you got. The, the 76ers, I believe, won it like one year in 80 or they won it one year in 83 over the Lakers. And then you got the Celtics that won two more in 86 and 84. And then you got the bad boys who won 89 and 90. And then the Bulls start their campaign with their three championships from 91 to 93. And then probably w- could have, I should say, could have won two more if Michael Jordan hadn't left for baseball in 94-95, which was Rudy Tom or Rudy T's Rockets won. But the 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 point is like the Bulls, the Lakers, the Celtics, these guys were dynasties that were all playing at the same time, and which is crazy. I mean, you got like you got Pat Riley, who's got his Lakers at the time in four straight finals from 82 to 85. And the Celtics are often right there with them. And that's what kind of spurred the rivalry is these two teams were just the two heavyweights that we expected in the championship every year. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, I mean, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, you, I just wish I was living during that time to see all this great basketball on TV. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. But I mean, we kind of see that today. I mean, you got the teams like the Cavs when they had LeBron and obviously the big three in Miami. And then you got the, the you got Kobe's Lakers mm-hmm. as well. And then you got the Golden State Warriors that we know the best that have now went to five finals. In a we row. haven't, we but haven't seen like four teams at a time that were, that had. No, it's always been like. Maybe yeah. Two. I mean, there was times where there was when there was the the Heat versus the Young Thunder when they had Harden, uh, Ibaka, and Durant and Westbrook versus the Heat. And those were two very solid teams, but I can't really think of another team during that time that was was a super team, basically. Yeah, we're not seeing dynasty teams all together at the same time, which that just shows how – crazy this era was and yeah like with that thunder team as you almost wonder if they would have stuck around what could have happened because that is those are all four amazing players i mean sergi baka is obviously the the least like known and least talented out of the three but he's he's kind of like that dennis rodman type figure where he kind of does the dirty work and he makes it happen he's also he's also now a champion yeah, he won a championship in Toronto. So, but yeah, KD's also got um, two championships as well. And then Russ hasn't quite got there yet. Harden hasn't quite got there yet. But those two have both been in the MVP conversations quite a few years. But like the that Thunder team, man, I th- those guys made me a Thunder fan when like when I was growing up because obviously the Pistons were on an absolute derail after their um 05 loss to the Spurs but it was that was a rough time where they were trying to rebuild and I we really I didn't really feel like the Pistons were almost root were rooting for which obviously I'm a huge Detroit fan now and I'll always root for them but during that time it was like 
you watch the Thunder and you're like, that team is good and they play great basketball. It almost is kind of like a lot of people have transitioned to, yeah, I want to watch, yeah, turn the Golden State game on because those guys just change the game of basketball where it's so much different. And it's like the Rockets as well with Harden and Gordon, all those guys, they're shooting the ball like crazy where all these teams have all these different methods to winning where bringing that back to the bad boys, like they had their method where we are going to out physical Mm -hmm. all of these teams. None of these teams are going to be able to play these. Their physicality was off the charts. Absolutely. And that's the reason that they got, they got all these wins is by the third, fourth quarter, these guys are all beaten up. They might have a slight concussion or two. They, like it by the end of it, it was just like, yeah, there's nothing left in the tank, and that we the Pistons take over, and it's yeah, game over. definitely, it's it's ridiculous to see but, how far it's come. But Brandon, I think to close out the show, our final topic for today: Ferris State Athletics announced the inductees for the 2020 Ferris Athletics Hall of Fame. And there's a couple of people who um, really deserve it. Some people who, I mean, we haven't really seen any of these people play too much. I mean, they're kind of ahead of our time, not only at Ferris, but also ahead in our lives. We were probably only about two or three when some of these people were playing, uh, athletics at Ferris. I mean, there's even, uh, Gideon Smith who played football in 1910, 1911, but Brandon, uh, why don't you, uh, kind of, uh, tell us what, uh, who, who got into the hall of fame and, uh, what kind of, uh, talk about some of them and our 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 reactions and stuff like that. Yeah, so in the 2020 class, some of the the notables right off the bat is um, Jeff Blashill, who played at Ferris from 1994 <laughs> to 1998, and he is also the current head coach of the the Red Wings right now, is how we mostly know him. But he he was a fantastic fantastic player. I mean, we haven't had the we haven't been fortunate enough to watch some of these guys, but Joe actually does have a little bit of a story he can tell <laughs> here when I get to the next player. But um, Jeff Blashill was an, a very, very, very good player. He actually was an assistant coach under our current coach, Bob Daniels, um, which was kind of interesting there. And he, he spent, um, I believe Blashill spent, he spent six seasons at um, Miami University as well, where he helped them get to the NCAA tournament. But he's he's coached so many so many good player or so many good hockey players, and the fact that he's now um a red the Red Wings coach, not only an assistant but a head coach, that just shows you how really really smart and just a incredible hockey figure he is. Not only Ferris State and or not only to Ferris State, but just to hockey yeah. in Michigan in general. But the the second player is also another hockey. Player. A lot of people on campus probably know this guy. His name is Chris Kunitz. He was a hockey player at Ferris State from 1993 to 2003. He is the most decorated hockey player, I believe, in Ferris State history. He's a four-time Stanley Cup champion. He is an Olympic gold medalist. He's pretty much, you could put it on him as the top hockey player that has ever been in Winker, or I should say in Wink Arena, but he was Ferris also State Hobie Baker. Uh, but uh, he was a finalist for the Hobie Baker Award. Yes, that is true. He was among the the three finalists for the Hobie Baker as the top player during that time as well. But yeah, Joe has an so, interesting story that I feel like. So although we were about 
maybe three years old. I vaguely remember I was about three years old at the time. I vaguely remember going to a hockey game when he was there. I don't, as I said, I was three years old, so I don't really remember too much. I just know that during that time period, Chris Kunis was there, so I don't remember too much of it, but I watched him play as a Bulldog. Wow. That's my claim that, to fame that's right there. Incredible. That's your claim to fame. Put the, put the stamp on it. Joe has officially seen a famous person from Ferris State that is now in the Hall of Fame. He has now seen more than I have just with that one. But, that I mean, that's still pretty cool to think about is you, you – I mean, you can't really remember it, but you were at watching Ferris State hockey when a potential Stanley Cup winner and Hobie Baker finalist is playing hockey. Ridiculous. That's, that's incredible. And to mention but. a couple more, there is a couple uh, women's basketball recipients, uh, Lucy Pryor, now Lucy DeMartin, uh, Danny Hayes, who is a men's basketball player, Tiana Kirkland, who is a women's basketball and track and field athlete, as well as the late uh, Brad Morris. He was a wrestler from 85 to 89 when Ferris still had their wrestling program, as well as the late Gideon Smith, uh, who was a football player from 1910 to 1911. Uh, and it is said here that he's going to be represented by his grandson, John Belcher, at the ceremonies. But, Brandon, it's kind of cool to see all these people who kind of paved the way for a lot of these Ferris sports and kind of are one of the main reasons why Ferris is now kind of turning the page and becoming a big sports school, not only in the GLIAC, but also in, in D2 sports as well. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these people were the main, main people that helped us get to the top at one point. Like we talked about Chris Kunitz. We talked about Jeff Blaschel, Justin Hockey, making us one of the more well-known hockey schools, not only in D2, but America at one time when we were, starting to get to frozen fours on consistent. But, I mean, a lot of these other people were huge influences on the sport. I mean, you talked about uh, Lucy Pryor. That she's the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball here at Ferris. She had 1,721 points. She helped the Bulldogs get to the NCAA tournament back in, I believe it was, 04. But, I mean, in Danny Hayes as well, he was one of the, the top players that we've ever seen at Ferris, uh, he's one of the all-time leading scorers for the men's basketball team as well. But, I mean, uh, one thing that one of those that really comes to mind is Tana Kirkland, how she did two sports, which I think that is incredibly just absolutely phenomenal. With I, I'm a huge fan of, like, multi-sport athletes where they kind of had the, the multi-sport versus the specialized sport. I feel like multi-sport is definitely the way to go because it just helps you. You're always – I feel like you're always just learning and you're always like, I just feel like whenever you have somebody that's only doing one sport and you, you kind of, you're kind of just corralling somebody where they're like, personally, like I had, I actually played four sports in high school where I enjoyed going from one season to one season, playing all these different sports. Cause I felt like I was always learning how to do. Yeah. Something and I mean, else. not to mention uh, Gideon Smith, who uh, was one of the school's first African-American football players, um, and he's also on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, just a guy who is a pioneer for, for Ferris Athletics, who is a guy who broke down barriers, a guy who a lot of people are looking up to and stuff like and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just crazy to see all these people who are, are legends uh, as bulldogs. And 
and just to just yeah. to wonder what it was be like to see these guys play and see these men and women play and uh, see what how good they really were, you know, and just uh, you. I'm kind of kicking myself because I wish I was able to see them, but now I mean, you see them in the halls and uh, in between Wink and uh, Awaglaven Arena uh, in the in the in the mezzanine area right there, uh, where it has the the wall of fame and it shows all these different uh, people that are that paved the way for Ferris Athletics, and uh, it's good to see. Um, these eight are, uh, excuse me, these uh, seven people coming on, uh, or these eight people, excuse me, onto the wall and just adding those to the list. Yeah, it's definitely a really a special time for not only that or the the inductees themselves, but their families as well. Just seeing how proud they are of um, their children or their family, other family member that they can kind of be like, hey, look, that's that's my that's my dad or that's my, that's my grandpa up there. Like, that's just a really cool idea that these guys did so well. And now that they're being recognized, yeah, definitely. It, which is very fantastic. great to see. But that is probably going to do it for today, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know today, today was kind of one of our, our rougher episodes. We're trying to really get through, this pre-exam period as we're trying to finish up the school year strong but we do have a very very fun episode coming up next time it'll be the hot five where me and joe will be getting down and gritty to what we believe is right but joe i'm gonna say this ahead of time you're going well we'll wait we'll wait to see brandon Okay, okay. But if you guys have any ideas for the Hot Five, send us a comment in our Twitter page. Tell us what you guys want to see on the Hot Five. We will definitely take those into consideration. I mean, Joe might need some help getting a topic he can win, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm Uh, just kidding, Joe. It should be a fair fight, but that is going to be a good one, so you guys are going to want to stay tuned for that, but Joe, it's always a good day at the office with you, Brandon. (laughs) But thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time.